everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast, episode 325. This is a question. What's a new guitar brand that you recommend that's affordable? Um, well, I like the Ert Eart guitars that I apparently can't say their name right. Um, Eart guitars, uh, I like them a lot. I've reviewed a lot of them. And and notice I've, I've reviewed a lot of inexpensive guitars, Boya and Ziki and... Uh, and, uh, you know, basic AOI and, you know, I mean, tons of, tons of brands, Squire, Epiphone, you name it. But when, you know, you say affordable guitars, I'm thinking really kind of like, everybody's going to have a different opinion of what affordable is. Um, I always go off of market standards. Um, so what I mean by that is not what my opinion is or your opinion is I go off what the average selling price of a guitar is, which is about $500. And again, that my data could be a little old and it could be a little higher now, believe it or not, but the average guitar is selling around $500 in electric guitar market. That's a, uh, when you look at the pyramid of guitar sales, right? You're looking for that biggest, widest spot. Yeah, of course, the absolute <laughs> widest spot is entry level guitars. But so I'm going to say affordable is, is in the market is $500. And again, that's not based off of of my opinion that's based off of what guitars are selling at in that in price categories besides entry levels. And so in that price point, I really like Yard guitars a lot. Um, so you guys know I like Shiji guitars a lot as well, and those guitars are now in the $1,000-esque plus, plus pricing. And I have to tell you, even though I still think they're a better quality guitar than Yard, Yards are so close. Um, like, I, I guess if I was looking for a perfect analogy, an Yard to a CG is... Uh, the equivalent of a Mexican Strat to an American Strat in quality. Uh, they're so close, you know, and just the pricing difference. But that's that's just a guitar brand that I think of. And when you ask me, that's what I think of, especially over the recent last couple of years of what guitars I have uh, reviewed and taken apart and kind of looked at. And and sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes I ask myself that serious question is like, hey, if I was restricted, let's say I didn't have, you know, I wasn't uh, fortunate enough to have a nice collection of guitars or some some beautiful guitars, what guitar would I get in the price point? I mean, I'm never going to change my mind from the original first answer I've probably ever given on the very first show I ever had, which is if you ha if I had almost no budget and I was trying to find a great guitar, I would spend all my time looking for a used made in Mexico Fender. That's what I would shoot for, <laughs> right? Um, I'm talking about me personally. Like if you if you gave me you know, whatever that budget, I just gave you three to $500, which would be very tough in today's market, almost impossible. But I, I feel like I could keep, I, you know, keep your eye out, you may get lucky. My goal would probably to find myself a made in Mexico Fender Strat um, because I can mod it into whatever I want. If I want a humbucker or not, I like the way they are. I'm comfortable with them. And, uh, and uh, but uh, from brands, you were talking about new brands, I would say uh, E-Art or ERT. Um, uh, this is message is, uh, this one was sent by, thank you, Amanda. Amanda, uh, is one of the moderators sent D O Toro said how to find a, your favorite neck shape when not having sex, uh, not having sex, not having access to a lot of guitars. <laughs> these questions are going to get weirder if I don't mess these up. Uh, so, okay. So how do you determine, you know, what's great. I will tell you that, um, from from just a sheer volume of guitars, it actually gets worse, not better. So one thing that's great is, <laughs> I used to think, because I worked on a lot of guitars, I'm like, oh, this is great. I have a better perspective of experience than it's the average guy. And uh, and now that I've literally you know reviewed thousands of guitars, I'm like, oh, I have more perspective than the average player. The truth is, the more you have access to, the more 
Um, everything gets harder, not easier. And here's what I mean by that. I don't remember my first couple guitars thinking there was anything wrong with the neck shape or feel. Like I remember just thinking that's what it was. And then I would play another one. So it, actually, I think it works opposite than what your question is. So your question is kind of like, how do you get access to guitar shapes and how do you, how do you figure out what you like? The reality is um, it happens at the opposite way. You like what you have until you feel something else and then go, oh, this is much better than what I had. And that's how it keeps going. And, and so, you know, um, there are a ton of guitars, a ton uh, that I've owned over the years or currently own where I can honestly say I could have stopped there and I've been happy forever. And that's with the hindsight of, of playing, you know, hundreds of guitars after them, looking back going, yeah, there was nothing, nothing to really gain or sorry, nothing really to lose if I stayed at that spot. The problem though, is I tried something else and that something else was a little different, a little better. And especially over uh, time, as you, you know, as you, as you get older, <laughs> you, you tend to also change a little bit, but realistically, um, I have a preference of a neck profile that I like, but deep down when I think of like my ultimate neck shape for me, uh, to this day, it's still really the fender medium C shape. That's for me. That's the shape I like for the most part. It can be a little thicker. It can be a little thinner and I'm okay with that. Um, that's what I like. Um, frets are actually worse than neck shapes. So you guys know, um, Frets are one of those things where I used to not notice them in, until they were extreme. So like I would play mediums, um, you know, all kinds of variety of frets, right? And maybe the vintage frets, I'd be like, oh, these felt a little low, but they're okay. You know, I'd have preferences. Um, and then uh, what happens is, is as you keep messing with frets, at some point you go, oh, these are the best frets. And then everything else feels not right anymore. So again, um, I'm not saying not to try stuff. I'm just saying that trying stuff is asking for the trouble of you might find your new love and then the other thing's not going to work for you. So, um, Tio Toro, my advice would be don't worry about it. <laughs> um, if you're unhappy with something you have now, that's something you should probably search, seek out. But if you're afraid that you're missing out on something better, nah, don't worry about it. Mingjo 101. This is Amanda popped this to me too. Says, hi, Phil. Love the show. Should I start selling less mainstream guitars like ESP, Music Man, silhouette special etc before people completely 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 lose interest in them will will the will the ever be collectible okay this is an interesting question so his at his core he's saying esp music man silhouette um so what he's asking is should he sell off some of the guitars that are not the biggie the big three I don't even know if those the big threes even counts, but you know, Fender, Gibson, you know, kind of like maybe Paul Reed Smith, the big guys. Should he thin those collections before people lose interest? Uh, you know, again, uh, uh, this is more of a financial advice question, less of a gear guitar question, right? About the, this stuff. You should get rid of whatever you don't want if you don't want it. Um, but if your concern is that, you know, you have something and then it won't have value one day, that's a little tough question for me because I buy everything. I, I buy everything. And I'm sure you did too. You buy everything that I really love. And yeah, sometimes I fall in love with it and goes, but I very rarely is I bought it for a, you know, a kind of like a financial gains. Um, you know, I had a store for 13 years and as much as I loved being in that business, I liked being a repair person more so than I liked being the guitar store owner, so to speak, or salesperson. So what I'm basically saying is I didn't have a love for selling things. <laughs> you 
you know, it was a function to get the entire business model working, which was lessons, repair, and of course, sales. Um, and uh, so I'm just saying it's like not really my thing. Um, what I would tell you is that I don't really think a lot of the brands like ESP and Music Man are going to be go the wayside. And I don't think people are going to get disinterested with guitar. Um, so, I mean, that's just, you know, that helps you just as an input and thought. Um, I think about this. I, I want an ESP really bad. <laughs> um, I've had E2s. I've held LTDs, and for some reason, I still want ESP, and I look at them all the time, but they're just either not what I want or they're super expensive. In fact, every time I see an ESP when I'm scrolling on Reverb, every time, I usually just scroll up the pictures, right? And I scroll, as soon as I see one, I go lock, I go, oh, click on it, and it's seven grand. It's always some insane five grand, four grand, just nuts. Just like, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's do another question. Let's take a Let's do this one. And I actually have a bunch right here. Okay. Um, uh, this one is from, I'm always having to try it. By grace, I am saved. Oh, okay. I get it. Hey, it's all spelled out correctly. Uh, by grace, I am saved said, hey, Phil, what type of radius and neck shape would you recommend for someone having a hard time with chords and bar chords? So I will tell you, that's the, one of the things I love about doing the geeky stuff videos is that not so much they're repair videos or they're not review videos. They're just kind of like down and deep into like what I'm looking at as someone who's been repairing guitar for two decades, what I'm seeing, right? And um, those chords, those problems, sure, I could say a 12-inch radius is a little easier than sometimes. Me personally, I think the perfect radius for chords for me is the Fender 9.5. But however, um, keep in mind, I mean, acoustic guitars are are 12 and 14 and 16. And, you know, so, I mean, they're really flat too. What I will tell you is this is what I've learned uh, when it comes to playing chords, barring chords, and uh, the neck radius is important. I mean, it's it's a factor. It's not paramount though. It's not the first thing I would think about. The first thing I would say to making, to making you successful playing chords is going to be the action. And that action is going to be also not only how high the strings are off the fretboard, but also how uh, well cut the slots in the nut is, are. Um, it's a huge part, you know, the more you have to push down, um, I want you to think of pushing down the strings, like going to the gym and lifting weights, right? I mean, obviously imagine if you will, if you imagine, uh, you know, that if the action was three millimeters high and the nut slots were also not cut correctly, um, it'd be like the equivalent of lifting, let's say 25 pounds. It's not a lot of weight, but it's, you know, so you, you lift the 25 pounds, but obviously you could curl a lot more 10 pounders than you can 25 pounders. The same thing with the strings. The more you push down, the more you're exerting energy and the more fatigued your hand will become and the less you'll be able to play. I mean, it's just a factor of it. So one of two things has to give. You either have to figure out how to get that a little easier. In other words, lower the weight set, decrease that action, make it, make it a little easier or increase your strength. The irony is that you can do both and that is a proper setup. So I wouldn't worry about the radius. I would make sure that the setup is amazingly done and proper to you. And, and this is where it comes into play when you take your guitar and maybe take it in for a setup, or if you do it yourself and you watch the videos and stuff, you would definitely want to uh, tell the technician that this is your goal. My goal is like, for instance, when people come to me and say, Hey, my goal is to play, I'm playing in a worship band. We're playing a lot of chords. And especially those chords, you know, songs are six, seven, eight minutes. Sometimes they can go 10 minutes long and I'm playing these same four chords over and over again. And it's fatiguing my hand. 
that's exactly what I'd want to know because I would set up the guitar specifically to help you achieve that goal. Sometimes there's a reason, there's more than just guitars look cool and sound good. They have different tones. A lot of artists will change guitars. Sometimes it's not always about tone. Sometimes an artist will change a guitar in the set to a different guitar because it plays a little easier. Um, you know, I, I've said this for many years as a, as a bass player who has, has played several I mean, just so many gigs with musicians on the fly. In other words, well, I was given little prepper, you know, a little preparation and I'm on stage with somebody. I have, my bases are set up to play easy. Okay, so let's go to the next question. The next one is our subject or it's a question. I don't know yet. Let's find out. Uh, this one comes from Scratchy Pots. Oh, it's a great name. I love that sign on, Scratchy Pots. Uh, happy birthday to a fellow geek. Uh... I'm going to say Simon Ho, uh, Simon O, Simon O, I read it backwards, uh, from your Geeky Crew friends. Happy birthday, that I probably messed up the name. If I did, I'm pro I'm, I apologize. Vim69 says, got to work late, going to miss the live show. Hope the whole KYG crew had a great weekend. Uh, I hope so too as well. Uh, I hope we all have a great weekend. Uh, Litface says, hey, Phil, congrats on the Badlands team, uh, to, to the Badlands team for the home run. Thank you so much. If you guys uh, maybe saw this week, Badlands uh, launched their second guitar. It's right behind me, right there. It's the GX1 Hollow Flash. Um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting launch. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you guys know, I've, I've said this before, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Badlands team for sure, right? So it's like, it's one of those things, like it was presented to me and uh, I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want to help this ha uh, happen, right? And so that's my, this is one of the things I get to do is help with launches and stuff and get this stuff going. And, um, the launch was crazy. Um, you know, we, we do what's called a soft launch. So we did a town hall meeting with the owners of the, of the brand. And the town hall meeting was first and foremost to talk about where we are with the company, where the company is right now. Um, how did the first run go? How, what's still going on with the first run, you know, it, what's going on with the second run. Um, the, um, uh, and Joe says, uh, did the hollow flash, uh, sell faster? Uh, so I'll, I'll explain that right now. So, um, basically what happened was we went through that and then the original owners of the red lines were given first, I guess, first right of refusal of preview. They were allowed to see the guitar, um, like an hour before the public. Okay. So, I mean, give or take, because it was in live real time, like kind of like a show like this. We're just talking to the owners. So we told the owners they could, hey, we're going to go live in about, you know, 20 minutes or an hour where, there, where people can buy them. You guys can have access to it. So they were given the first access. Um, and they bought 26 of them in, in that. And I'm doing off memory. So, you know, I could be one or off in, in either direction. But 20 something of the guitars had sold technically and so, you know, the original owners ended up buying over 30 of them uh, in a period of hours. In fact, there was 50. So to answer your question, Joe, did it do better? The very first red line sold 50 units in 72 hours. And the hollow flashes sold 50 units in the first six hours of going live and then sold 100 units within 72 hours. Um, so uh, absolutely. Um it was, um, and there was, uh, so it was a much bigger, um, well, I mean, it was double the guitars. So, it was, and then sold at a much faster rate, uh, which was, I'd love to say like, oh, we, we knew all that. 
we we believed that it could do that. You know what I mean? We believed it could do even better. I mean, we, you know, you believe things, but you don't know, right? Um, everybody has an opinion, but when it's your money, <laughs> your energy on the line, you know, it's like you invite a bunch of people to the party, you bottle the dip, you bottle the chips, you hired the band, you spent the money, and although you think deep down, yeah, everybody's going to show up and it's going to be a great party, there's still a thing in the back of your mind the whole time going, you're a sucker, you're a fool, you know, four people are going to show up if you're lucky. So, I mean, l let's be honest, up until, up until we knew, you know, we were almost sold out, there was, there's doubt of whether or not the, the idea will go, because it's a crazy idea. So it's not, like I said, it's not a far-fetched guitar by any means. It's an 80s rocker guitar that does, you know, does what it's supposed to do, look like um, 80s rocker guitars. But the business model is unique. I mean, you know, um, this is the things that we talked about um, with the owners. And then we had a friends and family meet right after the ownership. Um, and we had that hang as well, too. And so they got access right immediately after the owners. And um, uh, and so, you know, the public had access at that point, too. But we were in a private conversation talking about the stuff because we wanted to share the we actually felt like and I hope that came across to the owners and the friends and family. We want to share not just the success, but we wanted to share a lot of our failures. We made a lot of mistakes and um, and uh, they were, you know, like you can imagine, you, you, you can anticipate as many of them as you can, <laughs> but then you can't anticipate them all. So we, we really plowed through them and did the did as much as we can to fix it. And there was a lot of things in the new line that are going to be addressed differently than the first line. Like I said, the new boxes are, I'm, I'm, how lame is this? I'm most excited about the new boxes. I have one downstairs. <laughs> uh, the new boxes are form fitted to the cases and they have these cardboard inserts that kind of hold the case and suspend the case perfectly. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, as silly as that is, so like a lot of you are probably like more excited about how the finish looks amazing and the hollow flash or what was new or what was shiny. But to me, just having a box that feels, you know, like I feel like this is even a better, you know, this is the way we should have shipped them in the first place. Like, this is really cool. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, so Livy, thank you so much. It was, it was really cool. Um, what was really interesting for us too is, and this is just something to note, really shocking. When I say we didn't know, um, when we first launched, and again, I know sometimes the Badlands talk is boring for some, but also I, I think this is industry talk and to learn how this works. When the first launch happened, how that worked uh, was in January was we sent press um, packets to everyone. So to every major, you know, um, place where you get your guitar information, we sent a press packet about Badlands. You know, hey, this is a new company. This is what it's doing. This is its mission. This is what the guitars look like. This is our plan. And um, everybody, and I mean literally every uh, guitar player, Guitar World, Ultimate Guitar, uh, Gear Gods, uh, you know, every, I mean, tons of YouTube channels, amazing YouTube channels, Aggiefish, you know, Stay Metal Ray, uh, and um, Ben Coombs, you name it, you know, just tons of channels uh, talked about it, um, which is really great. And it put us on a lot of re radars. And of course, you know, Reddit and the gear page uh, mostly slam us. But still, that negative press is something, right? it's like it's talking about the the brand and um you know we we did the first launch and obviously we have a lot of happy customers now you know what i mean it's it's really impressive um how amazing everybody was so excited about these guitars like us and so on this launch uh we did the same thing we launched it and we were like and so you know we were uh was it i, I don't remember the saying cocksure or something like that right 
we thought for sure this is going to be huge. Like, this is going to be a huge party. Like I said, we invited everybody, every guitar magazine. Everybody is going to talk about the new Hollow Flash Badlands. And especially since the first one was definitely, in our opinion, and a lot of people, our friends are in, in the industry, everybody from the president of ESP Guitars to the guys at Kiesel Guitars, you know, flat out, the, to the owner of Eastwood Guitars, you know, uh, flat out told us, like, wow, your first launch was amazing. You know, what you guys did you know, zero to 50, so to speak, in a second was really impressive. And then this launch, I don't know if you guys caught it, we launched on the first because we wanted that press to build up and get excitement going to the sixth, and it was crickets. It was absolute crickets. To, to date, <laughs> guitar will never mention us. No guitar player never mentioned that this guitar existed. Nobody said anything out there. We had Stay Metal Ray did another video as a, as a favor to the Tone King, which is very nice. We had some, um, another channel and I feel horrible. I'm going to pull up his name right now because he deserves credit. He just grabbed it off our, he didn't even get the press packet. Um, he got the newsletter, um, that we were sending out to basically everyone. Where is it at? He had a great video. It was one of my favorite ones too. Um, and, I'm, uh, this one was, uh, Jake, Jake Lee guitar, Jake Lee guitar did a video. And then, um, since then, uh, old, uh, uh, Music Inc. has done as printed our press packet. They printed it, but they did that after we sold out. So the why, why I say that is um, some of you probably are try you know try to try to uh, kind of get a the temperature of this right. Try to figure out why why if we sold out 100 guitars in a minute, why would we have any doubts? Well, up until we launched the guitar for sale, it was dead out there. No one said anything. It was just dead. And it's, so it's interesting. In fact, I just want to say, um, it really tell, told us a lot. We were really shocked. What we learned, because we're always learning something. I'll tell you what I learned. I don't want to put anything in the words of the other guys. What I learned was how little, apparently, the guitar magazines must be, because we thought, I thought, that the first launch, the guitar magazines and everybody, you know, posting the press packets must have had a huge impact on moving that momentum and to see the momentum be twice as strong now and sell out twice as fast and see none of them even acknowledge it existed. Um, and let me point out, I'm not saying anything bad about them. Uh, like I said, we, it was not, I'm upset. I was just, we were bummed like, wow, okay, no one mentioned it. And it was a very slow guitar week, news week. There was nothing really going on in guitar. Um, so, so like I said, it really, really was impressive to see it do so well. And, um, and, uh, again, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. It's amazing to see it do that well, but it's also scary as hell because it's twice the work as last time. And last time was a lot of work. <laughs> so they, they, it was, it was crazy. So again, and, um, I do plan to do updates again, periodically about this. And again, so much, uh, one thing I, I like about this, and I hope you guys understand too, is that this isn't about selling the guitars because the guitars are sold. It's really about talking about the business and what we're learning. And if you guys remember, nothing's off the table, just like with my YouTube channel and stuff, you guys can pretty much ask me anything. If it's something that it's, it pertains to me, I'm open about it. Sometimes I can't be as open about what other people have done and said in private. Uh, cause it's not my, um, you know, it's not my, you know, I, I don't have, permission, so to speak, but I will definitely talk about anything. So if you guys have questions about guitars, uh, and Badlands and any of that stuff, let me know. And I'll, like I said, I'll answer the question truthfully. And I'll also answer the question truthfully. If I can't answer the question, I'll explain at least why that, that can't be answered. Um, 
Joe says, Phil, can I borrow 40 bucks? Hey, Joe, can I borrow 40 bucks? <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, I remember this all started. I'm just going to say this last thing. I remember uh, when I was first asked to uh, be part of the Badlands crew and help uh, get the guitars out. Uh, the very first thing I said was the worst idea ever <laughs> idea ever is to get into the guitar business. And they said, are you sure? And I go, you'll see. And now we all sit around going, he's like, I love this. And I go, me too. And they go, but I think you're right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're not going to make a lot of money from this, um, which is not the plan. And that's why I like this business model. This isn't a, you know, try to make yourself rich scheme. It's just not going to work. Um, uh, Mr. Mont says, will Badlands be doing other decades? I hope so. You know, uh, I've been very up and uh, clear about this as well. Look, um, uh, Luca and the Tone King are really 80s rocker guys. It's really strange, just so you guys understand. It's not your age. It's when you start guitar. I've, I've decided that from the Badlands experience. Because Luca and, well, Luca's younger than me. I and, and the Tone King is one year older than me. So, I mean, you know, what is that? And it's nothing. However, the Tone King started guitar like four or five years before me. So you got to understand those four or five years, I mean, that's the difference between he starts in junior high and I start in high school. So he starts when the guitars like the red lines were the thing. I started playing guitar when the guitars that look like that were the dudes who weren't that cool. The girls didn't want to date anymore had. And I mean that in the way, like when I was going to high school, like the dudes that were still hanging out your high school after high school, what's that? What's that? What's that movie where Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey is like the older dude who doesn't leave. Right. That kind of thing. So to me, the early 90s shredder guitars were the thing I really loved. And then, of course, I, I really into, you know, the, the aftermath of that, you know, which is Gibson and Fender coming back. My point is, I would love to see later 90s era uh, guitars come into the fold. But, but um, you know, like here's a conversation I had honestly the other day with a friend. I was talking about the fact that think about the difference. The guitars that I, um, oh, somebody said Days and Confused. Yeah, it was Days and Confused. Um the guitars that I uh, talk about when you're talking about 90s guitars, all the iconic guitars from the shredder guitars from the 90s and early, late 80s, early 90s, they're all paper graphic guitars. They weren't painted, right? The Steve I guitars weren't painted. You know, the 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 um, floral prints and stuff. The Petrucci guitars weren't painted. The uh, Paul Gilbert guitars, not painted. The the iconic George Lynch graphic guitars of the ESP, not painted. Those aren't painted. Those are graphics stuck under finish. So... To the point where when they said to me, and I agree with them, that the earlier guitars before that, they were all painted by people like Dan Lawrence and and um, and Mike Learn, you know what I mean? And let, let's face it, that these are works of art. These were painted. And that's why that was part of the thing with the Badlands is we wanted to cap, capture the guitars that were actually done with artists. You know, an artist does this, not just somebody applies a graphic and coats it but i would love to actually see those kind of guitars too at some point i hope that helps <laughs> understand my thoughts um <laughs> bonker says my guitar keeps getting older but i stay the same age there you go that's a great flip on that quote okay um okay let's go to another subject now um let's let's talk about something something else Something else guitar related. Ready? Um, perfect time for me to sip water. All right. We have 
Okay, Shane. Shane's question is, I recently got an Epiphone limited edition 1959 Les Paul. I reviewed that guitar. It's a great guitar. Standard. I like it as much, if not more, than my Gibson Custom Shops and Standards. Do I need help? You know, I love this question because at the core of it, it's the doubt question, right? It's And I'm, I'm, I'm plagued by that. I think so many of us can relate. You know, why do I love this guitar that doesn't cost as much as my other guitar? Um, you know, I know we just talk about Badlands, but this ties in. There's somebody, one of you guys who I, by the way, I love it. Just keep busting my chops. I love it. Um, every time I turn around, somebody, same guy's like, uh, is this, every time we talk about Badlands, he's like, is this as good as a Schecter? Because of course, uh, you know, we have a clickbaity Schecter video out there. It's like this guitar puts $3,000 guitar shame. I have my Schecter, as you guys know, I reviewed it. I love it. And I have my Badlands and I like my Schecter just as much as in every way as my Badlands. There is no exceptions and, and at all. Um, there's nothing that I could say. Like, if you asked me, if you put me down, you put my feet to the fire and say, what? tell me why Badlands is better than a Schecter. I'm nothing. I got nothing for you. Nothing. If you want me to tell you why it's more expensive, I can explain that in detail, why it's more expensive. If you want to tell me, if you want me to explain why it's going to probably, I think it's going to hold more value in the long term, I can explain that. If you want to, if you want me to explain why I think it's more unique than a Schecter, I can explain that. But better, I have no way to explain that because I don't really even believe it. So how would I even explain something? So um, I like my Schecter. And that's and the reason why I clickbait videos like that is because I like like my nags. I love it. It's a work of art, for Christ's sake. But, you know, you could live in a world where I could say, oh, if you can't afford a nags, you just won't live. No, your Schecter kills. Just get good pickups. In fact, my Schecter had great pickups. I only changed, changed out one pickup in it. Um, my point is, is that uh, exactly what you're saying, right? You got this Epiphone and the question is, why is it better? It's not that it's better. You could think it's better, but we're not going to argue that. We're going to argue, why do you love it as much as your Gibson? Well, there's a ton of reasons. One, I could tell you because I reviewed that guitar in detail and obviously did a deep dive. One of the things I really love about that guitar is they did the next satin, right? That's like way cooler. So it's poly satin. So it's a, you know, right? So it feels great. Um, I mean, how many famous rock stars who had money out the ass could afford to take sandpaper to their Les Pauls and did it? Um, I don't have that. I don't have the guts. I don't have the 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 money <laughs> to to take my sandpaper to my Gibson R9 and sand that neck to I to where I, I bet you I would love it more. I really believe that. But the sad thing is that R9, I'd be like, I'd be stuck with it forever. And maybe I'm it'd be fine, but I just don't have the guts to do it. It's too expensive guitar. I barely had the the cojones to buy the damn thing or the stupidity in cojones to buy the the damn thing, much less now ruin it. So just that feature alone is great. The pickups in that uh, Epiphone sound great. The Epiphone itself looks great and feels great. So I think, and I've always stood by this, and I just feel this way. And again, it's not to say my way is right and no one else's way is, uh, is right. It's just, I believe when you look behind me and you see guitars, I'm very upfront about the fact that some of these guitars are just collector's pieces. I have no shame in that. <laughs> like I said, I've worked really hard to get to a point where I could buy a Nags. And and I'm not saying, again, I and if I didn't own an Nags, I'd be fine too, because I used to not have one either. And good guitars, um, which is why I focus the channel on talking about guitars that are, that to me have value from value, and value can be perceived a ton of different ways. Value could be just how well it plays, how value is, how well you gig with it. I love when somebody's like, I, I don't collect guitars, I use them as tools. That's great. That's why there's guitars that are tools, right? <laughs> right? You could just get a guitar 
and use it, <laughs> right? And you could get a guitar and stick it in a glass case. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's not like I, <laughs> somebody said uh, somebody said to me once. I, I remember the stay. I'm gonna mess it up, but I remember it was loving loving the comment was like I could never own a guitar and not play it. It would be like it didn't fulfill. It's like it's just a waste of guitar. I'm like, it's not like a puppy that you're not petting anymore. I mean, a guitar can be wall art just as easy as it can be something can be played, right? I mean, it does. It's an it's an inanimate object. It doesn't have any feelings about what you did to it. So if you want to make a guitar a piece of wall art, make a guitar a piece of wall art. If that makes you happy, if that gets you up in the day, if that makes you work a little harder, if that makes you literally love a little better laugh a little better if that's what works for you freaking do it right just do it personally i would love to see every guitar get played right paul ritz Smith once said um that he kind of hates that his guitars don't get played more he said it i'm kind of paraphrasing what he said but he essentially said like a lot of his guitars he he wants them to get played like he, he and i and and i'm gonna mess up the quote because i'm doing off memory but it was at a clinic and i remember him saying something to the fact that when somebody shows him one of his guitars that they've had for 10 years and it looks brand new he gets a little sad I'm paraphrasing. That's not the exact quote. But my point is, is that, yeah, I mean, of course you want to see a guitar get used. Um, one thing that's happened to, to me that I, I've really grown past is I used to freak out every time a guitar got a dent. I mean, I would freak. It would just collapse me emotionally. <laughs> and luckily over the years now, uh, a guitar gets a dent now. And I think, oh, good. I was using it. I've, I've kind of tricked my brain into thinking it's a good thing, even though probably should still be weeping a little bit. Um, but, uh, again, this is the, the important part of this is, is in just in, enjoy it. And if your Epiphone makes you happy, uh, sell those less Pauls, man. Well, you know, if you want to sell those less Pauls, put that money in your pocket and be happy. Like I said, I, I have no, no doubt in my mind. Like I said, I could take a Mexican Strat or a Schecter or play anything and be happy to this day. Every time somebody tries to ask me these questions of, if you could only have one guitar, <laughs> what would it be? And I always say this always at the same time. I, I don't care. Just pick one. But to be honest with you, if I got to pick one, the ones I pick are not even close to my most expensive guitars. Not even close. Uh, I have American uh, Professional Strat that's green. I absolutely love that guitar. Uh, I think I paid eight for it back in the day. My uh, my PRS Mira, my Gibson SG, they're all under $1,000 guitars is what I paid for them. And there's been no guitar that I can buy that makes me play any better or feel any happier. But there are things that just make me feel like sometimes I've, you know, I achieved it. I like finding an ES, I don't know why I can't point. I'm pointing at an ES-335. Getting a Gibson ES-335 was like an iconic moment for me, you know, to get that kind of guitar and have it and play it and enjoy it. But it, essentially it's just an, an ego stroke at that point, <laughs> right? Oh, I did it. I got one. I'm cool, <laughs> whatever. But deep down, I've owned a ton of Epiphones and Ibanez and Washburn uh, semi-hollows that I just can't really say, just like um, our, our friend here is talking about his Epiphone. I can't say this Gibson's better. I can just say that a Gibson's more collectible. And so my kids will be happier that I bought that when I die because <laughs> they're, they're the ones going to redeem it and they're going to sell it. Uh, I, I guess that hopefully, you know, hopefully they sell it. I tell my wife and kids, if I die, sell all this crap. Don't even keep any of it. So just none of it. If you, if I said, if you, if you want a guitar to remember me, grab one and put it, whatever, you know, whatever, but just sell this stuff, you know, um, just, you know, uh, Jeff says, Hey, Phil, I bought a seventh anniversary broadcaster new direct from Fender in 2020. The fret ends are turning green. Wait, the fret, the fret ends are turning green. Oh, okay. 
I was thinking green, like, okay, I got you. Um, it's clearly under the lacquer. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, is this a long-term concern? Um, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's a static issue. It's not going to do anything. The, the frets aren't going to corrode away, so to speak. Um, you know, they obviously got moisture in there. That's what's causing that effect in the in the in the metal, and um, it's under the lacquer. So you know, if you can't get to it, you can't get to it. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, heck, Fender, if you showed it to Fender, they'd tell you uh, they should charge you more because <laughs> they relicked it. Um, but no, nothing really to worry about. You're not going to worry about your frets uh, rotting away. Um, this is a great question because, like I said, I'm, I always say this: I'm not a car guy, and I live in Arizona, so I'm the farthest guy to know anything about cars and rust. But I notice a lot of times that people who are very versed in cars that get rust and rot away, they tend to look at guitars as potentials to have the same problem. And it's not as likely to happen with a guitar as it is a car because they're not in the elements as much. And like I said, and the materials are really discoloring more so than they're rotting away. So. <laughs> you guys are talking about what guitars I should keep. Keep the champagne color G and L though. Yeah, I don't know. The um, We could play a, a really weird game, not today, but if you guys ever want to do it, if you ever want to know. I never asked my daughter and son and wife, like, what guitar, if I died, what guitar would they keep? It seemed morbid to talk like that, but more more so not to worry about anything else than to see what guitar maybe they would be interested in. I don't know. So, I don't, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't... I tend not to... Like I said, I love doing this stuff because I, I love playing guitars and I love checking out guitars and I love doing this stuff as a whole for sure. But I don't like it to be worried about it. It's just not, it already is. It's, you know, the juggernaut says, Hey, Phil, building a tele parts caster, single humbucker. What type of pots do I use? 250 K or 500 K? That's a great question. Um, the rule I follow all the time. I always say, if you have a humbucker, single, single use 250 K pots, right? Um, the rule is for me is, um, if you have more single coils and humbuckers use 250 K pots, if you have more humbuckers than single coils, in other words, humbucker, single humbucker use 500 K pots. These are general guidelines. You can vary at this. There's no rules. I'm just giving you the guidelines that I follow. I, I created these guidelines from customers asking me that, Hey, I'm, I'm installing stuff in there. What should I use? And I've kind of learned these are the formulas. Now in a guitar where there's a, just a single and a humbucker, uh, I would probably still use the 250 K just to make it easier. Um, the reason why is I find the humbuckers are less problematic than the uh, single coils. However, you can do exactly what we did on the hollow flash, which is you can buy the Fender stacked pot that has a 250K and a 500K and not even have to worry about it. And um, you can get those from Flipside Music um, if you'd like, or get them online. Um, if you wanna know the, the potential part, like I said, I bet you Stu Mac has it. And and like I always tell you guys all the time, if you want to learn, see any parts uh, that are worth a crap, you know, right? For the most part, go to Stu Mac. And um, because they're a great resource of having stuff. So here's the part that I'm talking about right here. So this is it. This is the Fender Dual 500K 250K split shaft potentiometer. And it is $8.84 at Stu Mac. Believe it or not, this is actually a better price than most online retailers, but that's because Stu Mac's going to stick it to you on the shipping. So you're, unfortunately, you can't, I bet you if we Google search this, which I'm not going to, you can find this part and it's going to be $9, $10. It'll be $1, $2 more than Stu Mac. I think even Sweetwater is a couple bucks more. Um, in fact, I will 
uh, verify that right now just to see. You know, sometimes I want to test myself. I can't. I'm searching Google right now for that part. Maybe. Here we go. Search. And look at that. Oh, I called it. Sweetwater has it for... It's thinking. <laughs> Sweetwater has it for $9.99, so a dollar more, like I said. But Sweetwater is $10 in free shipping, where Stumac was a dollar less, but $10 in shipping. So you have to go with uh, Sweetwater or something like that. And again, like I said, you could check out... Um, uh, Flipside Music, Ike at Flipside uh, definitely took care of us really well, and we should uh, show him as much love as possible. Um, he was uh, one of the key components in making the Badlands uh, Hollow Flash uh, uh, reality. So my point is, um, you can do that. Why not? Try that. That's fun. That's different. You're doing a build. Try it. It's it's double the price of a regular potentiometer, but hey, it's really cool. It's not hard to wire, and each one, each pot will see its value, and why not? Why not do it? Or like I said, if you're going to just pick one, I'd pick 250 K. Is that what I say? Yeah, 250K. That's what I would do. There you go. You can even, if you want to get crazy, you could go 500 k and then use a resistor and then basically set it up to where the the to the where the single coil sees 250k and the humbucker sees 500 k You don't have to do a stack pot. You can do it with a resistor. I personally, I like the stack pot stack pot. Uh so there you go. Brian says it seems like Stu Mac would sell more if they made shipping reasonable. Dude, you've heard me say it. I've had their ear. I have said it so many times to them. I have said it so many times. I I won't even say it anymore. I can't do it. I even I would even annoy them at me. We'd have a meeting, and at the end of the meeting, go, "Hey, I just need to say one more time. It'd be really cool if you guys had free shipping. <laughs> free shipping, I think, would be huge uh, for them." But there you go. Some of you guys ask about, we used to have a, uh, we had a deal where you got 50% off the buy-in for the year to get the free shipping. We're working on that right now. So we're, we're doing that. Like I said, that's our goal for this month or next month to set it all up. So there you go. Um, or like I said, you can give Iket, uh Flipside Music your money, which would be really, really nice because he's a, a great person, great retailer. Like I said, I got nothing but great things to say and, and thank him. Um, our next Subject question is from Scent of a Wheelchair Pillow, who says, do you think guitar-focused music will have a surge because of the all the CVID sales? I don't know what that is. In 2020, 2021, is that COVID? Oh, COVID sales, I guess. Hoping some of those people will produce content. I think that's what you're asking. Um, I think we're having a surge in, in that music right now, right? Guitar-focused music will have a surge. It's having a surge right now. Um you know, if you, uh, there's a great video, I will link it from Tim Pierce talking about hit, some of the hit songs right now. And he goes through all the guitar that's in those hit songs. There's a lot of guitar and hit songs where I think everybody has a different memory of things. You know, I've said this before, right? Um, for some reason, a lot of people, especially guitar players have these memories of things that I don't remember. In other words, they remember guitar being this huge thing in all music, and what I remember is a lot of pop music having a lot of instruments, but the technical guitar, that's usually where we focus, right? We like focus. Like to me, obviously I have Pliffy out there and they're doing a lot of guitar centric stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, and as you know, I've interviewed those guys. You can check out the video. Um, super easy, uh, super talented. Tim and Scott are super talented. Uh, there's no question. However, you know, you forget and I, and I sometimes look back and I've, I've told this story before, like Mark Knopfler, I always use Mark Knopfler as my analogy. I did not know Mark Knopfler was a good guitar player. 
And so, you know, and a lot of you probably are way smarter than me, of course, but some of you guys, if you're being honest with yourself, you didn't know who Steve Lukather was for a while either. There were guys like those guys that sent dormant. And here's how I can prove it. Go back to the old guitar worlds in the eighties. Those guys were in them, but they weren't on the covers like, you know, Vi and Satch and, you know, all these guys grabbing the huge attention, right? And now we look back and go, man, those guys had Mark Knopfler. Listen to that stuff. It's amazing. Listen to Steve Lukather. Amazing. Amazing. Catchy. Fantastic songs. Pop songs, for Christ's sakes. Right? Pop songs that that kids liked. <laughs> that weren't rockers and diehard into guitar and metal. There was this music that was huge. And so it, it's. I think that's what we're seeing now. I think there's a lot of guitar hidden in music. Uh, look at Ed Sheeran. Um, you know, I talk about Taylor Swift is one of the biggest tours, I think, in ever in history. And there she is with an acoustic guitar. And somebody's like, well, she's just strumming it. I don't care. It's a guitar. What do you, your complaint it has to be one or the other. Either you, you, you're, you either want guitar in music, which is what that is, or you want technical guitar music. That I understand. But I don't remember when that was ever a thing. Even players that were technically great, like Eddie Van Halen, no, sure, guitar players fell in love with the tech. Eddie Van Halen's technique and his style and all that stuff, but the songs are what people were chanting, right? Nobody was screaming out of Van Halen, stop singing and just start soloing, <laughs> right? They were, they were singing to the songs. So songwriting is going to be a big thing. Um, so I think it is a big time right now for guitar. I think it's really kind of, um, I just think that if you're into technical guitar, it's easy for someone to basically come out of nowhere and say, yeah, that guitar, three chords, who cares? I'm like, I don't know. I like all the Beatles songs. Some of those are only four chords. So, so it's basically, like I said, um, I, I, that's where I basically think. So I think it actually is a big thing right now. And, and I will timestamp this and click it to the Tim Pierce video because it's freaking awesome. It's a great video. I made my daughter and her friend watch it. I thought uh, you would have thought I gave them a root canal on the spot. But I made them watch it because I know they loved all those songs and I wanted them to see Tim Pierce go through them and show them the guitar that's in them. And uh, they watched it all, and they appreciated it, and then they left, <laughs> right? But uh, it's a good time. Um, and then I'm just looking at the comments to see what guys are saying, uh, which guys are saying. Mm. Brian made a great point about Prince. Prince was another sleeper for me. There was a ton of players that, I mean, I knew, you know, I loved Prince. I, I mean, I saw Purple Rain, you know, the movie, and I remember, like, loving Prince, and the music, and I knew he wasn't a horrible guitar player. Like, I knew he was like, oh, he's a good guitar player, but it never occurred to me he's a great guitar player, because at that time, I only thought the great guitar players were like these Mount Rushmore iconic shred guys, and it, like I said, it took a while before me to figure out, for, look, for me personally, again, everybody's going to have different opinions. Please have them. Enjoy them. Uh, but for me personally, it took a while before I was like, to figure out that how fast you can play a scale wasn't the only metric of how good a guitar player could be, right? And uh, and I'm definitely not a, just so you guys don't confuse me, I'm not one of those people who say the people who play fast have no soul. I think it's soulful. I think it's amazing. I love Michelangelo Badio. I could watch him just as easy as I can watch John Mayer. <laughs> to me, they are different players, but what they're doing and what they achieve emotionally with me is the same. I just go, wow, this is amazing. I love this. And... Um, there you go. So, <laughs> the uh, 
I'm just reading some comments. I like I said, sometimes I feel bad. I don't get to just read the comments. I think sometimes you guys are way more entertaining than I am. So, uh, in fact, I always think that Corey says, uh, have you refretted an ebony neck? Oh, many times. Uh, the chip out is a pain in the ass. Any tips for chipping? Yes. I'll, I'll get to that one second. I found a good way to pull them, but I'm getting more chips occurring when hammering frets, uh, in when pulling them out. That doesn't make sense, but I'm getting more chips occurring when hammering frets back in than when pulling them out. Yeah. Well, ebony is very brittle. It's a pain in the ass. Um, and yes. So obviously pulling the frets, there's a bunch of techniques. Obviously you heat up the frets, right? Most people know that you can use an iron or a uh, soldering iron to heat up the frets. Um, I have found personally that you don't need to heat up the frets very much. Um, I used to worry about it. I used to obsessed about it. I've tried all kinds of techniques, you know, even using like the solder to kind of make a better conductor to go through there. Uh, different types of materials. What I've learned is just warm up the fret material a little bit. That's usually enough. Um, with ebony, I've even used a technique where you can use a, um, if you guys see it in a lot of videos, I have this little bottle of water that's like an applicator and I can just put a little bottle of water, uh, applicate a little, a little moisture on the side of the fret and let it soak for a second. And that works too. And I've even used a sponge, you know, kind of delay the sponge and kind of let it soak and see if that, you know, see if you can get some of that water in there. Sometimes that helps again to stop the chip out. Um, what I will tell you is, is that there's two things you have to think of when you do a refret, regardless of an ebony or not. Cause I found it in a difficulty range. I want to say ebony is probably the most problematic. Cause again, it's, it's hard, but it's very brittle. Um, I think maple is sometimes the next problematic and then rosewood in my opinion of doing refrets. That's what I've, I've kind of, when I caution myself, I, I love doing rosewood the most. I feel like it's just the easiest. However, the bigger problem is when you use the same frets. That's what sucks, fret, set fret, same fret wire. I really like to um, be prepared that if I can go to up a stage. So for instance, here a medium jumbo fret wire and you're putting it in a fret, of, of, it has a medium jumbo fret wire in an ebony fretboard. If you know you're gonna go to jumbo, that's really great because you can hide a lot of that chip out. The other thing you gotta understand is that, that sometimes you wanna work on not, look, do your best to get as little chip out as possible, those chips out, but also keep track of them and also become very good at uh, fixing them, right? Uh, you can fill it in there, sometimes having some ebony powder in there and you kind of put some of that in there and some glue and you sand it, you get really good at hiding things. That's one of the things as well. Those are my experiences with that. But I will tell you that um, luckily for me, uh, I could count on my fingers, uh, my two hands, how many ebony fretboards I refretted just because you don't see that fretboard that much. That's the least one you see the most. Least one you see the most? I don't even, I'm not making sense anymore. That's the one you see the least. <laughs> so, um, but all those would help. And like I said, um, and then yes, hammering the frets back in. I would suggest, I wouldn't hammer frets uh, back into a rosewood fretboard. I would press them in. So if you look at when I did a stain, when I did a glary and I refretted it with stainless steel frets, I showed you that basically you can hammer them and I showed you how to press them. If you don't have the money for the press, uh, fret press from Stumac and other companies, you can make one with a, um, uh, a, um, I have no idea what I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say drill. <laughs> drill press. Man, I said the word press. I had the word drill. I just couldn't put them. <laughs> drill press. I just had to put them in order. I want to say press drill. Drill press. Uh, you can get and make an adaptive drill press to do that as well. If you don't have that, there's even a hand one you can get. 
Um, but either way, if you're going to do it, if you literally, um, literally, uh, if you want to put frets in ebony, I would strongly, strongly recommend pressing them in and, and even, um, uh, taking a, um, a Japanese fret saw and clearing it all out and starting from scratch. And like I said, try not to. So, I mean, it's a little bit different of a work of, of work, you know, to do it. Okay. All right. Oh, somebody says for the Brits, it's called a pillar drill. That's really cool to know. I'll probably forget that by tomorrow, but I hope I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have next question is Phil, any recommendations on guitar? Oh, we already did that question. Zombie guitar company says, thanks for the help with the carbon info. You're welcome. Zombie guitar company uh, sent me a message. It was kind of funny. Um, a little, another weird thing I talked about, like when you guys message me and how, if I'm getting a lot of messages, um, man, if you ever want the ultimate luck and there's just no way to predict this, if you message me when I'm rendering, sometimes I'm just staring into the air because I, uh, if you render a lot of content this week, I was rendering a lot of content. I have a lot of videos that are, um, waiting for approval. Um, so, uh, I've told you guys before, one of the ways I'm getting around not doing so many sponsored videos where the company sends the guitars out or they pay us to do the video. Cause again, you know, I, I like you guys, I gotta, I gotta play a game out there to, to, you know, to, to, to make content. So I try to do as much independent content as I can possibly do. But one thing that, uh, Mrs. McKnight's done and she's kicking ass is she's the one who's figuring out how to get these other companies to pay for the videos and that aren't guitar related. So you know, if you want to question, you know, like, so now you see like, you know, I did, I'm doing Skillshare, I'm doing CMA music, I'm doing all these other companies where they get a commercial, right? Like I do that a 60 second spot or 30 second spot and I just read something. And then with that funding, we're able to fund the, the video without having to go to an actual guitar company to do it. And so that's great. And it's working great, except for the one thing that because it's a, what they call it integration, it's a 30 second to 60 second integration. Um, what they all do, they all seem to do the same thing. They don't give you a script. They give you bullet points and they go, cause they want you, they want it. It's social media. Part of social media is, media is authenticity, right? So they want it to be as authentic as possible, which makes sense. So they, they basically tell you, please go through their stuff, find something you like, speak to that, and then cover these three or four points. Okay. And because there's no real script, they want to approve what you say, right? They want to make sure you didn't come up with crazy things to say, right? They And generally speaking, they're pretty cool. Like no one said anything like, I really wish you would tell them you like this more. This No one says anything like that. They just always say like, oh, but also could you really mention like where, you know, could you tell where the link is or something? So um, because of that, it really is holding up videos because they take days to approve the link or, or the, the integration, or they send back, um, hey, you said you know, where we would really like to say there or whatever. Right. And you're like, Oh, okay. You know, right. So, um, so that's, what's been great. It's been helping me make content that I would normally, like I said, that, that Rickenbacker guitar, literally buying a Rickenbacker guitar just to review it. It's just, that's an insane thing to do. That was too much money, but with an integration, we can do it. We can, we can go, okay. Yeah. We'll use the money to, to buy the guitar. And therefore when the video makes 130 bucks, that's my, that's my time covered. Everything works out. Um, so, when I'm rendering those videos, <laughs> uh, I can't use my computer because I don't want to bog down the computer anymore. And um, so uh, he was asked, uh, Zombie Music asked me a question and he probably got the fastest. I probably responded in seconds. Some of you guys will get a response in seconds if you catch me when I'm rendering. It's basically what I'm trying to say. 
Uh, Jim says, hey, Phil, just got a Heritage H150 Les Paul style guitar. Absolutely love it. What are your thoughts on Heritage compared to Gibson Les Pauls? Man, I feel good and bad. Let me tell you, thank you for the super chat, for the huge super chat. Um, you're about to find out uh, the uh, Heritage unboxing video is coming. As you guys saw, you maybe saw in the background a couple times, I uh, filmed the unboxing of it. I'm going to share my reaction with you, a little bit of deep dive, and then explain what I like about it and don't like about it to Gibson uh, compared to the Gibson Les Pauls. I'd like to point out, though, like I said, there's something great about both those guitars, but um, I'd be... It's like when I always say that everybody's biased, it's just what is the bias? I'd be lying if I didn't say, of course I have a bias towards Heritage. I have a bias, bias towards GNL. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm not going to argue their guitars are better. That's something, again, we, you can argue about. I'm sure the forums like to argue that. What's a better guitar? I want to argue why I like something more. and and Because that's not really, that's an emotional thing. Something about heritage, something about GNL, something about medium to smaller builders. There's just something inherently different to me than with the biggies, the big, you know, Gibson Fender PRS, those those companies. I love Paul Reed Smith. I've done probably more PRS videos than any other guitar brand on this channel. Actually, Gibson's still probably number one, and then PRS is second. And and I've said this before, it's because PRS is one of the few companies out there that sends guitars like water. They like to send guitars out the channels, and they've been sending guitars for me for years. And it's a lot easier to do a video when a guitar just shows up in a box and I don't have to buy it to show it to you guys. So it makes life a little easier. But obviously, I, there's something about nags that I really like, you know, and uh, so it's different. It's just something really exciting when a brand's just a little bit more, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know the words. Um, less corporate? I mean, it's, I mean, I can't say that GNL and Heritage aren't corporate, but I'm just saying they're less corporate. There's a vibe to that. I think there's a kind of vibe to that. The thing about Heritage and GNL, that has been tough, and we've talked about it many times on the channel, is that some of the brands that I I I am the most excited about, Godan, GNL, Heritage, Nags, um, these are brands that I've bought and showcased on the channel that have some of the worst resale values. And so that's a big hindrance. And and everybody I love it when you get both sides of the question. You get some people saying, Well, who cares about the resale value? It's a guitar, you're supposed to buy it, you're not supposed to resell it. This is true. But we do. <laughs> you know, I love when people are like, uh, you know, I never resell anything. Well, good for you. I'm really, really happy for you. Actually, I'm jealous of you. Actually, more than happy for you. However, the used marking being as huge as it is, is because we are emotional creatures, the guitar players, more so than than anybody else. Um, we're probably the most emotional buyers um, by far, and uh, and it's because it's every guitar is not a toaster oven. Guitar is like this. An extension of me. It's what I care about. It's everything. It's my world. Um, you know, very rarely do I meet people randomly on the street with barely knowing only their name. Do I hear a story going, I always really, really wanted a Cuisinart toaster. And after 20 years, I finally got one. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot, Jim. That's really cool. But I can't tell you how many times I've had that exact same conversation with a guy named Mike or Dave or Chuck and I know all I know, I don't even know their last name. And I know they've been waiting to finally buy a Gibson Les Paul for 23 years. <laughs> they say, they say, especially men don't like to share their feelings. Well, get them talking about their guitars. A lot of feelings will come out real fast about everything. All right. I feel like I'm on some weird tangents today. I hope, I hope, I hope this is somewhat entertaining. I never know. 
Uh, Grubby Mike Guitar says, hey man, thanks for the tone jar and why not? Congrats on the Badlands 2 rollout. I'm putting a little money back each month, maybe by issue four or five. Uh, you know, that's the that's the goal, right? The goal is not to keep just releasing limited re releases that only some people can buy, right? The goal is to build a brand and then have a brand that can ex extend. The, the reality is this. There's a reason why... Oh, you know what? This is great. You know, Grumpy Mike, because you're a great supporter of the channel and a good friend. Let me let me tell you guys. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys a funny thing um, that I don't think any of you know, but maybe will be interesting to know. Badlands guitars, the business model, not the not the guitars themselves, not the the designs, not the idea behind doing Badlands. The idea behind the marketing strategy impl implication implication implementation implementation. Ah, I give up. <laughs> the idea behind the marketing and getting this brand out there to people is something that myself and some other people, some involved with this brand, had um, had meetings with multiple, multiple guitar brands, large ones and very small ones. And you can imagine a lot of you guys watching YouTube, a lot of you guys are hanging right now, you're big YouTuber fans, like I'm, I am, right? You watch a lot of you gear channels and you know there's a lot of small brands out there that have made it because of YouTube, okay? Brands that would probably never see uh, the light of day if it wasn't for the fact that they had uh, the ability to get marketing at next to nothing, right? Okay. Um, the importance of this is, is that we had this idea on how a smaller brand could move, right? You know, how could you grow this brand? And we pitched it to companies. And every company shot us down. And when I say pitched it, I don't mean we're dumb. Like not even like, hey, if you pay us some money, we're going to teach you how to you can launch a brand and make it somewhat successful and build that momentum into eventually doing more with it. No, we were just like, we have an idea and we think because what we do, we think we we think we see an, uh, a way in the in the market to gain ground over what essentially is a dominated market. Here's here's what I mean by that. Let me let me let me put it to you this way. In my opinion, <laughs> the largest company that I see with a social media budget is Paul Reed Smith Guitars. Um, I'm sure deep down, uh, well, I'm sure Gibson and Fender have bigger marketing budgets than Paul Reed Smith. But I don't see, personally, I don't see Gibson and Fender spending as much money in the social media market as Paul Reed Smith Guitars. They are, without a doubt, one of the highest dominating companies when I see social media. Um, if you're watching this, you probably can't go, you probably don't think about it, maybe you do, you probably can't go five guitar videos on any major channel or minor channel and not see a Paul Reed Smith of some sort. And... That is because they are put a lot of money behind the marketing. And when I see the money, Paul Reed Smith, as far as I know, Paul Reed Smith is not paying any YouTubers, but they could be. I don't know. I'm going to just tell you they've never paid me. Um, but they have sent me free gear and they've loaned me gear, right? And so that is a payment, of course, but we're talking about, you know, out of the out of the expense of it to send somebody an $800 guitar and probably sell $10,000 worth of product. It's not a hard, that's an easy marketing move, right? And so why I tell you that is, is that whether you realize it or not, uh, um, like I have a small builder I'm about to highlight um, in the next couple of days and the patrons already seen it, the members already seen the thing and you guys will see it's a very small builder. If, if given 
if he had a if he had a fight on the same level as some of these midline companies, there's no way he could compete in the social media market. It's too expensive. So what we did is we pitched this idea that was like, wait, maybe, maybe, um, there's a different way to do this, right? And it's like the idea is, and it's simple. Ready? Build a community and a brand at the same time, and build the momentum that way, right? And grow it out. And you do that by taking care of those customers in the community. And you do that by creating a little bit of a media blitz, a little bit of excitement, keep it going, right? And doing this stuff. And so when we pitch these ideas to companies, every company, I'd love to say they laughed at us. They didn't laugh. They didn't even care enough to laugh at us. Nobody was interested. And so when this came up, I was like, oh yeah, this is a great way to implement that. So to you, to you, uh, to your point, uh, Grumpy Mike, when you say, hey, you want to, you want to, you're saving up for maybe number four or five or three or whatever the next one. Um, that's essentially part of the business model. Like a lot of people are focusing on the FOMO aspect, the fear of missing out. Like, oh, they made 50 and that way everybody like has to jump on them. This is true. The FOMO is a part of the, the business model, of course, of course. Especially since we wouldn't have capacity to do anything. Keep in mind, there's a, there's a story that's a very important to understand. There was a time that everybody seems to believe it's possible that it happened. There was a time that Eddie Van Halen probably would have went to Saldano to do his amp before PV. Saldano did not have the bandwidth to make an amp for Eddie Van Halen. And everybody probably says the same thing, which is not true and not possible, which is Saldano could have grown the company. He could have grown, he could have got a bigger shop. He got to hire more people. He'd have to get the money to do that on a whim that hopefully it works out. If you have a successful business and now, you know, now you're like, what happens if this fails? Um, we talked about the shop making our guitars in California. Look, they had to allocate a spots. They build guitars for other high-end builders. And so they were like, you know, how many spots do I want to give these knuckleheads? So they gave us some. Um, you can imagine they're going to give us more now, <laughs> right? Um, at some point, we'll probably become, maybe it's possible, their main and only guitar company they build for. And then we'll have more bandwidth. But we could have thrown a ton of money at that, but instead we worked with you guys and said, Hey, you guys want to be part of this. And instead of a Kickstarter, we did it this way, which is, I think is more better way, which is here's how you can see how your money's moving. So the point to this is, is that's part of the, the idea is not to so much make you worry about what you missed out on. It's that to understand that the next thing will be exciting. There'll be a ton more exciting guitars and that really in the end of it, no one's really going to ever miss out on anything because every launch will be exciting in its own way. And at some point there'll be something for you. And if you somehow feel like you missed out, I promise you something will be just as cool in the future. And that's our goal. That's our goal. So, so there you go. Thank you for that uh, question. Uh, Guitar Nuts Anonymous says Fender Lug Guitars, future collectible thoughts. I saw that. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, um, Lug Guitars, this way, everybody's telling Fender Lug Guitars. Uh, Lug Guitars is a company that makes these uh, four-string guitars. So let's just pull up the uh, Lug Guitar website, and I'll share with you guys right now. So Lug Guitar makes these. Um, oh, sorry, three-string guitars. They're three-string guitars. I'm not sure what the tuning is. Uh, maybe Open G or something. Let's see if it just says it and doesn't see it. I don't see it right away. So somebody who knows the answer, please put it in the comments. Um, they did a licensing deal with the guys at Fender. So you have a Fender Lug guitar. This is the Telecaster. So this is a three-string guitar. It's made specifically for kids, but of course you could take it for travel. It says specs here, does it tell you? So you got a first string, okay, string, 
Where's the tuning? Does it say tuning? Hmm. Wow, the guitar is Palowina. Um, so it's gonna be light. So um, and let's go back. Let's go back. Um, that's the telly, and then there's a strat, which the strat looks weird to me because that one pickup looks like a P bass kind of thing. I thought at first I'm like, is this a mini bass? But it's this finished strat. So what they're asking about is these guitars are $200. They're really cool, right? Um, does anyone know? Let me look in the comments. Is it tuned like a ukulele? Ukulele? Yeah, geez, just get a get a ukulele. Uh, I think that's where I land with it mostly, right? Is I I I really really love the idea to to get an, a ukulele for a kid. I think it's a light instrument. Um, my argument and will probably always be the great thing about a, a ukulele. Um, or, and I always get, I like the tenor, but you can get whatever ukulele you want. The, the great thing I like about the um, uh, ukulele is that it's a real instrument. It's not a dumbed down instrument. In other words, it's not a version of a guitar. It's not a version of anything. It is what it is. So playing ukulele, I even did a video once where I explained that basically, you know, you can play, anybody can, if you can play guitar, you can play ukulele like immediately. And so you can share that with a kid easily. And they have this instrument. Uh, and by the way, the Lug is uh, tuned to open G. So there you go. Um, so again, I don't have any, uh, I think the, I think the Lug guitar is more focused on obviously kids getting a guitar, which is always great. Also focused on, I think a lot of dads going, Oh, I'm going to get my kid a Fender. <laughs> I got him a telly like his old man. I got him a Strat, right? Um, and maybe moms too. I just feel like dads are the ones that do this weird stuff. Right. Uh, but, but anyways, um, that's the, uh, that's kind of the instrument. I look 200 bucks for what it is. And today's market doesn't seem outrageous. I mean, I would love to see it at 150. who wouldn't, but at 200 bucks, it's a legitimate instrument. Will it be collectible? Is that the question? That was the question <laughs> collectible. <laughs> I don't know if it's collectible. It might be. I mean, look at the stupid hello kitty guitars. They shop and rate. Um, I think it's an instrument. I think it's fun. And I, I think it's legitimate. Again, don't take my comments about the ukulele as I don't like the Lou guitars in any way. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying like for a hundred $150 buys you a really nice ukulele. So, so, I mean, you could get a really nice call a uke for 150 bucks. That's a legitimate instrument. And when I say legitimate, I'm not saying the Luke's not, Lug is not. What I'm saying is, is that the Lug, to me, the concern I would have about the Lug, the only question uh, concern I would have is you buy this guitar for somebody as a beginner and then they grow out of it and they get a guitar, right? And that's the goal, right? Lug, I'm pretty sure, is probably that's in their, their business marketing. It's like, start them here and then get them in a real guitar. To me, if you start with a ukulele and go to guitar, you still play ukulele. You still have it. You take it traveling with you. You know, you have a little great time with it. It's, it's, it's a forever instrument as well. So you just have it. So that's my only thoughts. But again, if it's, uh, you know, maybe you have a kid who's like, I just want to play a Strat. <laughs> and now you can get him a three-string Strat. I'm always cautious. If you notice over the years, I've done a lot of products. I stay away from the cheater uh, products. Um, I'm always confused by them a little bit. Here's what I mean by that. I've highlighted a lot of products over the years that help people with issues whether it's getting older, that we're all going to have, that we all have that problem, whether it's uh, physical issues, right? Like they can't close their hand anymore. Maybe it's arthritis. When there's issues, especially stuff that you used to be able to do something and now you can't. 
to me, having help like a device or a thing that helps you continue to do something you love, that to me makes a lot of sense, right? Um, if, if you could play guitar and then because of some circumstance, now you're not, you can't play as much or can't play at all. If somebody makes a device or a thing that helps you cheat, I'm all for that. Uh, because you continue the journey, which is great. I'm a little weary of the, I'm starting out with a cheat system. And the reason I tell you that is I've seen little success in that. I find that if you don't fall in love with the thing that sucks about playing an instrument, which is practicing, you're never going to make it, right? Um, I have an analogy, if you will. Um, the analogy is that I would imagine <laughs> that football players practice more in the NFL than they did in college. And they probably practice more in college than they did in high school. I could be totally wrong. I'm just imagining that I would imagine, and I'm not talking about the star football players, I'm just talking about as a general rule, that if you love playing football, you better love practicing, <laughs> right? The practice part. And I maybe not love it, but you better tolerate it. You better, right? If that is the problem you have, you will not be successful. I feel the same way with guitar. If you don't learn to love practicing the guitar, you're never going to make it. It's just going to be a fight. Because here's why. There's no point that I've ever seen where you practice the guitar and then you get good enough to you don't have to practice anymore. That doesn't happen. In fact, if anything, I have to practice harder now to stay as good as I was 10 years ago. It's hellaciously annoying. <laughs> it sucks. Um, I used to practice to get better. And at some point, I practice now to stay as good and try to get better. So you got to fall in love with the practice. So, and again, I, if you, if they think the lube's going to work, I'm, I got nothing. Cause it, here's where I feel concerned why I'm apprehensive. I know nothing about the lube. So it's hard for me to say anything negative about something I'm not versed in. I'm just telling you, give you some other, other options besides that guitar. So. Um. <laughs> Sometimes you guys are on at weird tangents. Thank you, Tim, for the super chat. Revel, thank you. He says, uh, Revel says, uh, they say, I should say, uh, hi, Phil. I'm looking online at a used Gibson acoustic that has been refretted with stainless steel frets. Ever heard of that before? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, do you think the stainless steel frets on the acoustic would majorly change the sound of the guitar? Um, obviously, I, I can't tell you because I haven't heard that guitar. Majorly would not be the word I would sa say, but I would say it would change it. Stainless steel frets. Here's what's interesting. A lot of players tend to talk about the fact that um, stainless steel frets change the sound of an electric guitar. Um, in my experience, it is very minor what it does. Um, in other words, um, if you were to ask me uh, if I took a, a, a Fender Telecaster and I gave it to you with nickel medium, uh, medium jumbo nickel frets and then another exact Telecaster with medium jumbo uh, stainless steel frets, and I ask you to play them acoustically, in other words, we're not playing in the amp, I would expect that the stainless steel would have a little bit more ping, a little bit more kind of zing, so to speak, ping, zing, whatever you want to say, in the sound when the initial note is being hit, right? Just a little pop. Um, and that's what I would expect to hear. And I would, I would feel pretty confident that's what's going to happen. Um, so... Then I would expect that if you plugged it into an amplifier, that if it did that through the amplifier, 
with just a minor adjustment, it would not be doing it anymore. So when people tell me like, oh, it doesn't sound the same as stainless doesn't sound the same as nickel, uh, it's very minor. <laughs> In fact, I could probably name, I don't want to say 50 things, but let's just say a dozen things. I can name a dozen things that will have more effect on the guitar sound than the fret material. So fret material minor. However, we're talking about acoustic guitars. And so acoustic guitars, it will still be a minor adjustment, but it would be a little bit of an adjustment. Um, the, the problem is, so my advice to you is that's not even the main concern. The main concern is that whenever you see a guitar has been refretted, there's a lot of hard questions you have to ask, you especially, and it's coming, you're saying you're looking at guitar, say where? No, you just said you're looking online. Who refretted it? That's a big, big thing because who did it? What is, you know, what has been done? So let me, let me tell you why you worry about who refretted a guitar. There's a lot of, there's a lot of missing discussions in this, in refretting guitars and why I hate and try to push people not to refret guitars as much as possible. Um, here's why this happens. If a person, in my experience, when a person is very new to refretting guitars, okay, it is, as, whether that's a, I'm talking about even a guitar tech who's done maybe 10 of them, okay, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of mistakes that can happen, and that mistakes leads to certain frets being higher than others. To correct that so that you never see it, you crown, you level and then crown those frets, right? So you do the fret work, and then you lound and crevel, uh, crevel, lound, crown and level them. I'm a little twisted today. Um, so then you crown and level them. Um, now, here's uh, why this is important. Um, how you can make a guitar feel great after you refretted it is leveling a lot. And the problem with that is sometimes those frets have been just chewed down. You lost like 40% of the height of those frets. And what's scary is at first, if you're not focused on that, you'll just focus on, you know, oh, it's, it's no dead notes. So everything seems fine. And then when you get home after a couple of days, you might notice your fingers are just really kind of pushing into that fretboard because there's not enough material on those frets to get your get your fingers away from that fretboard. And that might be something you notice. And I'm not saying that it's something you will notice. It could, you could notice. So that's why sometimes I'm a little nervous about refrets because again, it's not only not even that they did a bad job. It's that what they do to cover up the bad job doesn't sometimes become noticeable until later. And then you have that guitar. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're looking at a Gibson acoustic guitar that's been refretted with stainless steel frets, um, I wouldn't look at that as a plus unless of course it can be uh, qualified by, it was done by somebody, a, a legitimate luthier repair person that has notoriety that you know is, uh, is capable of doing great work. Maybe that can add to the, the help of the value. Otherwise it's about getting a, you have to get a smoking deal. Like you're taking a flyer on this guitar. So in other words, I guess my short version of what I'm saying is, and if you're, unless you can't, unless you're getting that guitar for a song, I would just pet, go on your way and look at something else. There's no benefit well, there is a benefit to have the guitar having stainless frets. Obviously, they won't wear divots and stuff in them. But, but you know, again, uh, we talk about this a lot on the channel. You can wear divots into nickel frets. It's just not super likely. There are players that, what I've like, told you guys before, there are players who can just just chew through frets like they're nothing, and there are players who basically never need a refrets. Um, I would, uh, I would ask, I would ask a question here since you guys can post in the comments and that way people even watch the replay can see in the comments or whatever um i would be curious to know how many of you have been playing guitar a guitar like a guitar that you love for more than five years and have needed a refret 
I'd really be curious. I bet you the answer is the majority is no refrets. Like I said, otherwise refrets would be constantly being done everywhere. And the truth is they're just not, not every guitar is being refretted all the time. Um, this is from Czech Husky who says, please help. Oh no, we got to help him. <laughs> I have a hip shot style bridge saddle that keeps breaking strings at some point. 1000 grit sandpaper. The answer, um, you know, not only will that work, uh, like I said, uh, you can do that for sure. Micro mesh. You can use a piece of leather. Um, the, the reality is all what you, what you may have is a burr. Okay. And the burr is, is cutting into the string and then cutting the, the, the breaking string. And of course I'm, conf I'm, I'm assuming you've confirmed that the break is happening at the bridge. So obviously if the break is happening somewhere else, it's not the bridge. Um, but if you're breaking strings at the bridge, then you may have a burr and you can solve that with, like you said, 1000 grit sandpaper. Uh, you can a little higher grit for sure. You can do it with a piece of leather, um, just rub on it until that, you know, until you, and then use your finger to kind of see if you can feel it. It's not going to be sharp. Everything's it's kind of like this big thing, like, oh, I can feel it. It's not, you're not feeling for something sharp or something sticking out or something big. You're, you're, you're feeling for how perfectly smooth it is, right? It's supposed to be perfectly smooth. And that's the idea. And then, yeah, you just do that and it'll help as well. Um, the other thing you can do is change the brand and type of strings you're using. Sometimes that happens. It's very rare, but sometimes a brand of string just doesn't react well to a guitar. It keeps breaking. Um, I've always, uh, I've, I've, I really believe this is true when players say like, oh, I've played Ernie Balls or I played Adarios, but I always break them. This is true. The players can break the strings, but sometimes in my experience, I have learned that a lot of times it's the guitar breaking those strings, right? And that seems silly. Like, why would it break one and not the other? Because there's different ways to make the same kind of string, right? How they wrap them, how they how they wrap the base of them, uh, the type of material. I mean, just because they're nickel plated doesn't mean anything. Um, the core wire could be thicker and the wrap wire could be thinner. The, the wrap wire could be thicker and the core wire could be thinner. Um, it could be a hex core like Diadario, or no, um, like DR strings or a round core. Um, there, there's more going on to just a basic string than just that, or they could have got a bad batch of strings. So you could be suffering from that same too, same thing too. If you've got a couple packs of strings and you're having that issue. So, um, those are all easy fixes. You can check. I, I always tell people strings feel expensive. They're really not in the grand scheme of things. Um, when you compare to like what work will cost to have stuff done, changing strings sometimes does just like rebooting a computer the problem goes away. Sometimes restring makes the problem go away. Um, and, uh, uh, unfreaking believable says GHS boomers always break on him. See, same thing. Like it's just, it's just that way. Um, like what I have noticed where I think the strings, since we're on this conversation, where I notice do strings do kind of react to people is not how much they break, but how fast they go dead. There are certain brands of strings that go dead faster on certain people. As we know, people sweat and have all kinds of stuff going on in their sweat. Um, for me personally, um, I have uh, brands, there's certain brands of strings that go dead on me faster than other brands is what I've noticed. In fact, some of my favorite strings, um, that's the problem I have with them is I love the way they sound when I first put them on, but then in a couple of days, I feel like they don't have that sound anymore. And so as much as I like them more than other strings, I go with other strings. So uh, for instance, I like Daddario. I use them a lot because of consistency. I can't say they're my favorite string per se. I just say the consistency of them is really, really good. And that's why, why sometimes I use those. Um, we're almost wrapped up. Let's see here. We have 
Steven's question says, Hey Phil, how about doing a Badlands European run? You could use Valiant or, uh, if that was difficult, some PGD or Gordon Smith, I don't know PJD or Gordon Smith guitars. I'm familiar with the brands. Um, and Valiant, I, I, I didn't even know they were still shipping out of Europe. I thought they were moved it to the U S or something. I wasn't sure what they were doing, uh, with Valiant. Um, that is, that is only one of the problems with shipping Badlands right now. Keep in mind, think about it like bandwidth, right? We're not, we're a lot, that hundred guitars, a lot of guitars, but it's just not enough guitars yet to, like I said, bring on that problem. We have other problems we have to stay focused on. Remember we're a small company and we are, um, trying to make as few mistakes as possible, give the highest level of customer service and quality as possible because that's what we expect. So that's what we're trying to give. And so as much as it pains us to say no, when shipping guitars overseas, it's one of those things where I look, I dude, I'm serious. I, I mean, we had so many people reach out overseas that wanted a guitar. We, we were like, we've contemplated, we figured out, we, we think we have a plan, but it's not be that it will make it available for us to do it next run. It's just, we feel like we might be ready. So we're, we're working on that. Remember, one of the owners is, you know, in the Czech Republic. It's, uh, no, sorry, from Croatia. Sorry, I'm sorry, Luca. Uh, uh, you know, he's from Croatia, Croatia. So, of course, it pains him that he can't <laughs> ship guitars overseas. So, um, we're, we're working on it. Um, this is from, I don't even have, I'm not going to butcher this name, so I'm just going to say, I bought a, I bought a German Warwick Babinga uh, Winge four-string bass a couple weeks ago because of me. Because of me? That's Okay. I'm not even a real bass player, <laughs> but wow, it's absolutely insane. 95% a guitar player, 95, he's 95% a guitar player, but thanks uh, for the good bass advice. Um, you know, obviously my dream was to own a custom Warwick. Uh, I've said this many times before, and it, it came true uh, in 2018. And um, I've owned a few Warwicks in the past that I've always loved, but I have my own custom Warwick now. There's a great video that Warwick released like a couple weeks ago that, and then I got a lot of emails from people going, oh, they just made you a bass. That bass was in 2018. Um, apparently Warwick made a documentary of making that bass for me and then forgot to launch it. I don't even know how to explain that. <laughs> especially how amazing it is. Um, so I'll put a link in the description for later when the show rebroadcasts. But if you want to watch them make my uh, amazing bass, it is literally a dream bass for me. Um, it's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, obviously, I love Warwick, bass, Warwick basses. Um, what I love most about Warwick basses uh, <laughs> is I love how it triggers people that I say Warwick, Warwick, the way I say it. Um, and... Um, uh, I, I like this story, so I'll tell it to you. It's fun. It's short and it's to the point. Um, sometimes people go, oh, you're saying Warwick wrong. It's war whatever they're saying. Here's what I can tell you. The owner of Warwick, I was at his house in Germany, and he was um, grilling steaks and sausages. And um, we were drinking beers and just having a beautiful af afternoon. And I said, how do I say Warwick? And he says, I don't care. Say it however you want, Phil. So when everybody corrects me, I'm just, I'm really, what do you call it? Reverse trolling everybody. Um, the owner of Warwick doesn't care how I say it. <laughs> Cause I asked him, I go, yeah, but I want to say it right. And he goes, I don't, I don't care. He's like, I don't care. So there you go. So, uh, that's why I say it however I want. 
Um, <laughs> we tuned to see says, Hey, I put in my first Stu Mac order in a while and I bought some Stu Max member. Oh, I bought a Stu Max membership. Two days later, I get an email. Haven't seen you in a while. Order now and get Stu Max membership for free. Oh, well then you should contact them and get it for free. Let me know if that, uh, if that doesn't work. So you got to understand Stu Mac. Okay. Sometimes the focus on Stu Mac is in how expensive they are. Of course, that's, that's a very important thing. The expense is the shell shocker. I've said this before. And if you don't have this experience, please send me an email. Like I said, I can't respond to everything, but if you send me response, you send me emails about products that I've discussed in the past, I will always give it a scan because it's important to me to know how on point or off point I am currently. Because again, even a company that I loved four months ago can be a different company today. So, so. that being said, um, not only have I learned this being a Stumac customer for decades, um, Stumac has confirmed this with me personally, which is they stand behind everything they do. The, part of the reason you're paying a lot of money, where we're paying a lot of money, is that they have like a no questions asked return policies and they have like, they'll take care. Of, look, I've had broken tools and they've literally fixed them for me or swapped them out. Um, you know, no questions asked on that. So if you have a tool and, it go, and you have a problem with it, please reach out and tell them. Okay. Um, a lot of times, and I just want you to be cautious. A lot of times when we complain about Stumac or people complain about Stumac, we didn't give them the opportunity to fix it. They pride themselves on being customer service, right? Um, they pride themselves on that factor, right? They don't want to be affordable. They've never claimed to be affordable. Um, so when people tell them, that's why you can't upset them that way. When you say, oh man, your stuff's overpriced. They go, we don't care if you think, well, they don't say that. I'm saying they don't care if they, we think it's overpriced. What they care is, is that somebody who buys it, even if they felt like they spent too much, they're satisfied with the product and the quality they got. So their goal is to make you happy with that. I would say my best advice, especially um, we tune to see is contact them, email them or call customer service and say, hey, look, I bought a membership and it doesn't matter if it's two days. I don't, I don't even care if it's been a month, you know, just say, Hey, I see you're giving that program away now. Um, you know, what can, you know, what just say, just, just tell them the situation. And I would be shocked to hear that they didn't take care of you in some way. Of course, if they don't let me know, and I'll stop telling people this because obviously I'm creating a problem right now by saying this, but what I'm saying to you guys is my experience with what they said to me. And that's why I'm sharing that with you until I hear different. And so, you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people tell me a bad experience with a Stumac. When I say a lot, I mean, you know, a few over the years. And every time it's the bad experience was they did had some experience, but they didn't go to Stumac. I've had bad experiences recently in the last year or so. They sent me um, some fret wire and it bent in the box, which was enough to make me nuts because I really needed it that day. And then they sent me a tool that was not the tool I ordered. <laughs> <laughs> it was the wrong tool. And that was during, and they, I, I look, I could have, I could have cached in, right. I could have been like called the, 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 the vice president of Stu Mac. I could have reached out to him. I was the email and phone number. Instead, I sent customer service saying, Hey, here's a picture of the fret wire. It came one, one, one or two of the frets, uh, you know, cause it's like three foot came bent and you sent me the wrong tool. And they immediately sent me new fret wire and a new tool and took care of me. And, um, I'm not sure, but I am, pretty sure that the, if the woman who took care of me didn't know who I was, like they didn't know like, Oh, he's this YouTuber who works with Stu Mac and we better take care of him. I don't think she cared or knew she just responded to me, took care of it and took, and, and, and then I can actually tell you this too. 
Um, later, why it came up, I don't know. But when I was talking to Brock, the the, the vice president of of Sumac, we were talking about something, and I mentioned that happened, and he's like, "Why didn't you just let me know?" And I go, "Well, they took care of me." And he's like, "Okay, well, that's what they're supposed to do." But I would have, you know, he's like, "I would have took care of you too," you know, right? So there you go. Um. So give that a shot. Let me know how it works out for you. RNA Music, what's up, RNA Music? It says, have you ever owned an Explorer or Flying V? I love my 91 Explorer. I have never owned an Explorer. I have owned many Flying Vs. I currently do not own a Flying V. <laughs> um, my last Flying V was a Gibson. I, I really, really liked it. And it was sitting, I made a mistake. I have one spot in my front family room where I hang a guitar. So like I have a TV, like everybody. And then on one side is a, a picture of of Eddie Van Halen. And then the other side is uh, a guitar. And so, um, my wife sometimes will put a guitar there that she likes to look at because you know, she likes to look at it. Sometimes I put a guitar that I want to use or I like to look at. And one time I made the mistake of putting the V there. I don't know if it was a mistake. I put the V there and then Ralph picked it up and played it. And he says, I love it. He goes, I need to buy one. And, um, it was a rescue guitar. I have a, uh, this has happened twice recently, actually. So, you know, um, where, um, I'll, find something really cool at a really great price. And I go, well, that's a really great price. And I bought it. And, um, with the V I bought it at a really great deal. And, um, and Ralph's like, I'm going to go get one. And I said, Oh, you know, the price is now ridiculous. I said, you can have it for what I paid for it. <laughs> so he bought it immediately and then told me every week I was the best V he ever owned. Um, so, um, so yeah, so V's, I currently don't have one. I'm in the market. So you guys know, we, we talked, uh, a viewer bought an Epiphone V. We talked about V's. I'm in the market for a V. I'm looking at V's. I've been looking at them. I just very particular because I feel like I've owned a bunch of V's and never kept them. And I'd like the next V to stick. <laughs> that would be right. It's kind of not in the mood to buy another guitar just so I tell myself five months later that I'm not using it and it should go. Um, Tony says, hey, for the love of the Friday with you loving people. Oh, lovely people, not loving people. He's talking about you lovely people. So basically he just super chatted me for the, for the, for you guys. <laughs> Thank you guys. Uh, this one is for the spare high string trust fund, proud supporter of, uh, the Patreon's guitars. Um, uh, Pat are uh, the Pat Rion's guitars. That's funny. The Pat Rion guitars. Uh, did you guys notice I was, I, some of you guys didn't notice last week I'm wearing real shirt. Now, a couple weeks ago, I did a show with one of the fake brands. I have fake brands that we talk about sometimes in the show. Uh, the Patriot, the Pat Rion's guitar supporters know about, um, it's a little inside joke, uh, planning on my next USA trip. I'm thinking about doing some guitar tourism, museums, factory shops, live music, etc. Any suggestions regards? Um, I don't know where though you're going to go. That's the tricky part. Um, you know, it's tough. Uh, man, it's a big country and there's tons of stuff everywhere. Hmm. I'm looking to see a U.S. trip. Thinking about doing some guitar tourism, museums, factory shops. You know, I, I, the museums are probably the right, the probably the right answer. You should probably go to museums because they're great. I like museums. I, you know, obviously when I went on the East Coast, we went to um, the museums in Washington D.C. However, I like factories the most, and if you can get in with the factories and check out a factory, that's that's my thing. I don't know if it's everybody's thing, but it's. I like going to factories more than I like going to guitar stores by far. Um, just because I like, I like seeing and learning things and, and kind of gaining int uh, insight into why companies do what they do. It's always very interesting. 
I find that we, as guitar players, especially on YouTube and these, like we pontificate all these reasons why manufacturers do this or why guitar companies do this. And over the years, it's just nice seeing a behind the scenes. I've seen so many behind the scenes that it's just, it's just a lot more interesting when somebody says, Hey, I, I don't understand why they do this. And I go, well, I can tell you why. And more importantly, I like it when I can't still understand why I still don't understand why manufacturers who can't do lefty guitars. I don't understand it. It does, it still confuses me to this day. I mean, I can give you reasons why I think they don't do it, but all those reasons are really sucky reasons. They're not real reasons. Um, so as many factories as I've been to, uh, 35 now around the world, uh, shops and factories that build guitars. What I can tell you from the most part is when they decide not to make left hand guitars, they have always go to the same reason, the programming of the machines, the CADs, the resetting, all this stuff. And I don't know. I just don't understand it. I've never understood it. Even when they explain it. Oh, he's okay. So he's giving more information. He says, haven't decided where I'm going, probably Nashville, Austin, or Chicago. Well, if you go to Austin, definitely go check out the music scene. Screw the stores, <laughs> right? Go check out the music scene. I'm a big fan of Austin, um, for sure. If you go to Chicago, um, a great, great music scene too. I've, in fact, all three places have great music scenes, but I'm just Austin for me. Uh, Chicago, definitely check out Chicago Music Exchange. I mean, that's definitely something you want to check out there. Um, Nashville, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's Groon's Guitars, which is really, really cool. Um, there are some museums and cool things to do in Nashville. I've done a ton of things that I love in Nashville. Um, my favorite store in Nashville is Carter's Vintage Guitars. Um, Carter's to me, I mean, look, even the Guitar Center in Nashville is good, <laughs> right? It's kind of nice. But to me, Carter's is like the perfect, uh, perfect balance of like really cool stuff that you could probably actually buy, right? Like the first time I went to Carter's um, Vintage Guitars, I went in and I was like, I was blown away. And I bought a pedal because I could get a cool pedal, right? I, I, so, I mean, they have every price point. Like, if you had $100 to spend, if you have $1,000 to spend, you have $500 to spend, if you have, you know, whatever real big money, whatever you have, um, you can buy something at Carter's. Um, Groons is great, but you better bring money to Groons. I don't really know what you can buy there besides, you know, that, that's, that's fun. So that's my thing on, on Nashville. Um, and then like I said, Chicago music exchanges is cool. So definitely check them out. Okay. <laughs> I'm not all about it. I'm vintage says the bands that play in the backyard parties at Nashville are better than the bands that play in my area. So mature talent. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had a, a funny story happen to me when I was in Nashville. Um, I had somebody take me around, uh, as like a tour guide. Right. And, um, it's right when my channel was breaking. It's right when I was like, I had notoriety, uh, you know, like, you know, it had some subscribers and I had, you know, something to, you know, people would notice me from. And, um, it was crazy because at that time, what I remember most, which was the weird part for me was I would go to like, at that time I would go places like in California and you know, no one came up to you maybe once in a while. I'm like, yeah, hey, I seen one of your videos. I'm like, yeah. And I went to Nashville and everywhere I went in Nashville and went to see bands, every band, somebody in that band or somebody there in a bar 
came up to me and said, I know, I saw your videos. I know your videos. I know your videos. And I was like, really? I mean, every time I was like, they've just come up to me like, hey, Bill McKnight, like your videos. I'm like, really? Wow. And um, so I did this thing in Nashville where every band, um, uh, I found the whole thing to be crazy, the whole experience to be crazy. Because um, like I'm not old, I'm vintage said, it was like, no matter where you went, the talent was just, everybody made you want to quit guitar. <laughs> Everybody was that talented, but there was a great story. Um, and this guy, he had a, uh, a Paisley drive, you know, the Wampler Paisley drive. And, it, and he had, and I, and I noticed like every single place I went to had a Paisley drive on their board. Right. Um, it was just everywhere. And, um, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, and at the time, you know, I was familiar with the pedal, but I didn't know it. I said, oh, that's a really interesting, I've seen that pedal on everybody's board. He's like, oh, it's a great pedal. And there was definitely that pedal. And there was the, um, uh, what was the other one? There was a another overdrive pedal that was on everybody's board, but the Paisley drive was important because I said, uh, I said, so what do you do? And he goes, well, I'm a touring musician. I tour with, and he's like, uh, Brad Paisley. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, you know, and he's naming all these artists. There was all these artists he was naming. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, he goes, I play with these guys and I do this stuff. And I go, this is crazy. And so his band was loading at, uh, uh, loading in, he was loading in, they were loading out the bars. And this is the, what goes to, to the test, uh, testimony of I'm not old, I'm vintage. I said, so the scene here is so great. Everybody's so talented. It's so amazing. And, then, and I said, I said, so is the money good? You make good money, you know, gigging. He goes, Oh no, I don't make 50 bucks. And I'm like, what? And, um, I go, that doesn't even make any sense. Now, keep in mind, this is off memory because it's a while back. So, I mean, he might have been different than 50 bucks. But I remember it just wasn't very much for what he was saying. And I remember, like, why would you do it? And he goes, well, when you're off season, you're not touring. You got to keep your chops up. You know, because when the call comes in, you got to just go. And you can't be like, you know, he's, I'm like, oh, oh, that makes total sense. So, then I started paying attention. And what I started noticing in, in Nashville was a lot of these players that were average Joe guitar players were really kick-ass session players, kick-ass touring players, just keeping their chops up or keeping busy. And I was, and so that's, what's cool about Nashville. You can see that kind of stuff for sure. I'm partial. So, you know, to Austin, just because, um, I like Bob Schneider a lot and I like, um, uh, Monty Montgomery and both of them are from Austin and they're two of my favorite artists of probably of all time. And if, Top five artists all time in my life, uh, Monty Montgomery and uh, Bob Schneider's in there too. So, and um, you can, I don't know about Bob right now, but probably with Monty still, you can probably go to Austin and just see them playing in a, in a bar somewhere, which is crazy to me. Um, so, okay, let's button this show up. Uh, if you didn't do a super chat, please don't do any more super chats. If I missed one, uh, let's do, let's uh, finish up with, if it's okay, I'm going to finish up with a couple of the moderators sent me some questions. Um, cause like I said, they can take your questions and send them straight to me. So let's finish out the show with that. If you don't, if you guys don't mind. Um, okay. This one from, uh, Bobby Steele, Amanda sent me this one. It says our Squire 40th anniversary, just classic vibes repackaged. Wait, our Squire 40th anniversaries, just classic vibes repackaged. Will they gain value? Um, re repackaged is an interesting way of putting that. I'm going to say 
I can't say for sure they are, but yeah, that's my vibe too. I mean, that's how, I mean, this whole business is repackaged of things. Aren't all Fender Strats repackaged version? Aren't all Squires repackaged versions of Squire, of Strats, you know, for all, you know, from Fender? So to answer your question, yes. Uh, gaining value. This is a question again, you know, who knows? You know, uh, again, I, we, I'd like to talk about guitar value in the practical sense of, hey, how do you, you know, keep your money so that you can, continue to enjoy playing, whether professionally, as a hobby, whatever. Um, making money is not really something I get too excited about on guitars. Like, if you notice, like, there are guitar channels that definitely, they, that's what they do. They flip product, right? They flip guitars or amps, and they do stuff all the time. And they're really focused on, hey, this is how you make money, flipping the guitars. That's not really my interest point. Um, so, like, I don't buy any guitars with the sole idea of, I'm going to make money with this guitar. Um I, I've said this before. I buy a lot of guitars in the sole idea, like I said when I said I rescued that V, of at this price, I get to enjoy this thing and then get my money back one day. And whether I get some of my money, all of my money, or a little bit more, it's an average game for me. So even if I make money on a transition, like I bought this guitar for 500 and I flipped it and I made, you know, for 800 and made 300 bucks or whatever the deal is, um, I don't look at the, I got me 300 bucks because deep down I know, like kind of like going to Vegas, I know I lost $300 on a, on a guitar once. So to me, it's like, how do I keep my, how do I get to enjoy and try new things and experiences um, and kind of minimize the expense to justify this, um, whether it's professional or like I said, as a hobby, you know, have to, I, I'm still at a point, like I'm a, I'm a working stiff, so I have to justify the expenses of everything. I can't just be like, hey, I don't care about money. Um, so that's my thought on that. Uh, Joe says again, thank you, Amanda. So Joe says, Hey, Phil, I want to switch from tens to 11s on my strat and tune down to E flat. Okay. So half step down. Is there anything I should watch out, uh, to do first? Um, the only thing I don't know in this equation, cause you're saying strat is if your bridge is floating or not. So if your bridge is floating, you are going to the increased tension of the 11s, right? Especially if they're 11 to 48s. Um, and that's another trick too. 11s are a little tricky where you don't generally see 10s being different than 10 to 46. 11s can be 11 to 48 and 11 to 50. It's really common for either one of those. So you have to pay attention. Again, the 50 over the 48, more tension, right? Um, decreasing the tune, detuning it a half step isn't going to be the equal amount of tension. In other words, what you're gaining in tension from the 11s, you're not equalizing with down tuning a half a step. If your bridge is currently against your body, of the strat, you have no problem because you'll just restring it, tune it up, stretch the strings, and if the bridge pulls a little bit more, you'll just turn your two screws to your your springs get a little tighter and your bridge is back to normal. If your bridge is floating, it's gonna be a little trickier, and but a little trickier means it just to be an adjustment to the screws in the back. This is not a huge thing and it should not affect the intonation very much to where you'll notice it playing the guitar. Again, I don't know all the factors, which is how high your action is. There's all kinds of factors that can change some of the answers I give you. So I'm giving you a general idea that what's your, the road you're going down is not a dangerous road. It's not a scary road. And it might have a little adjustments to the bumps and bruises down going down the road. But for the most part, you're not, you're not. In other words, there's not a whole lot of concern there. I should say that. Okay. So there you go. Um, and to give you a reference of me in the past doing it, I have uh, many times I have taken 10 gauge strings off a guitar, put 11s, tuned it to a half step down E flat, 
and not have to make any adjustments, even if it's even a, a floating tremolo. So, I mean, they're just cases where, like I said, there's a lot of factors in play. Um, one of the questions I'm sure somebody's going to say is just change the strings one for one. That is a thing you can do. I, I have no hard opinions about changing strings one for one or taking all the strings off all the time. What I can tell you is there's a reason why you want to do one for one because it's kind of like, you know, it's easier for the average person to kind of like, okay, I took one off, I put one on, I make the adjustments, where am I at? Put one off. Me, I'm pretty aggressive. I've been doing this so long that, again, I might be even a danger to you uh, because of the fact that I will literally just loosen all the strings, cut them off, pull them off. Like me, I just want to get everything off the guitar and just everything back on the guitar and just start going. And whatever problems I have, I'll just make adjustments. After a while, it's like intuitive, you know, um, I've just been doing these too, too long to not just know what the problem is going to be next and how I handle it. Plus, I really like kind of like as I go, I'll just solve the problems as they come. It's a, it's a kind of makes it fun. Okay. On that note, I think we covered it. We talked about a lot of things. I feel like it was really exciting. I appreciate all you guys hanging out with me. I appreciate all the questions and subjects that we talked about. Um, as I've always said, this show is kind of like a, it's not a QA show. If you notice, we stopped putting QA because it's more of an interview of you guys. Um, you know, it's a show where every week I'm talking to the guest and the guest is all of you who sent a question or sent a subject or brought up a, an idea or a thought. And I, I really f find that's the success of the show. And I, I always find that it, just like a, a, an interviewer should thank the guest at the end of the show. I, I really sometimes am mad at myself for not thanking you guys enough that the success of the show is really this stuff, this stuff you guys threw at me today. Um, it's interesting what you guys come up with. It's always fresh. It's always exciting. This, you know, I, even I don't know what's going on and half the time I don't even know if I can even answer your question, but I do enjoy having these conversations with you guys. And, um, it really makes me feel a part of this community and I hope you guys feel part of it too. And on that note, I'm going to let you guys go and you guys have a great weekend and I will see you next Friday. And hopefully you guys will watch some of the videos in between now and next Friday. As always, I want to thank you for your time till the next time. Know your gear.